Jim and I were just talking because there are some people here working with young people who are, you know, who are here for you. And you, one of the comments you made, Jim, come up and share that because I think it was very good on the, uh, um, on what kids, what kids are dealing with. Um, yeah, one of the, you know, working with the youth week in and week out, and it's beyond just a Wednesday night. It's, it's, uh, it's a full-time job. Um, texts, emails, not just from students, but parents sometimes pulling their hair out going, my son or daughter, insert whatever that may be. And, and here are the, two, the top two things that I'm seeing facing our students today. Number one is the fear of divorce in the family. They're seeing it all around them, in and out of the church. And they're worried that that's going to happen in their household and where do they fall. And the number two thing that the students bring on a weekly basis to our youth group is busyness in the house. There's no time that we don't slow down our lives enough as parents to be the cop, to be the coach. So then we try to jump in two feet and be the counselor. And at that stage, we've lost them because you need to have that relationship exactly in order to be the counselor. And so for those of you with the little ones, Maybe something's got to go. And whatever club it may be, whatever it may be that's so important. I'm going to tell you right now, the 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds I'm dealing with, they could care less about your retirement plans and your overtime. But because you can't put a price on you sitting and listening to what they're dealing with, with peer pressure, with what's going on in school, and the cry for help. And And I just... As you were talking about it, it just kept screaming in my mind. It's like, if you're not investing in being the cop and, and being the, you know, um, the coach, and you all know me, I'm a coach. I mean, I've coached every team going with my kids involved, and that's how I teach youth group. There's no chance to be the counselor. They've, they've shut you down, and they're seeking counsel elsewhere, and at that point, you're praying it's in the right place. So just take that for what it's worth. Good. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, one of the big things there in that uh, – and that 13 to 18, is, and I always tell the kids, I say, be careful of the friends you choose because you're choosing who you're going to become. The friends you choose are basically you're choosing the person you're going to become by the friends you choose. So those are, uh, but nothing takes the place, nothing takes the place of a parent in the life of a child. Amen. Youth pastor can't do that, pastor can't do that, teacher can't do that. And I always say, parents... Uh, you, you have, you're still the number one influence in the life of your child, but that doesn't mean it's a good one. Parents will always be the number one influence in the life of a child, but that does not mean it'll be a good one. So we need to work at making sure it's that. Thank you. All right. The, the biggie here is, uh, if I'm, if I'm responsible for teaching my kids spiritual truth, then how do you do it? Because the, very honestly, the way I was raised I, now, I didn't know it. I learned a lot from my parents. But, boy, it was get to church on Sunday morning, be at church on Sunday night, be at church on... Every time there's a program at the church, we need to be there. And I think there was that thing in my parents that said, boy, that's, that's where it happens. And But unknowingly, and I've written some of that in this book. By the way, the book, if you came uh, here and you don't have the money to buy it or you, you don't, can't afford to buy it, get one. It's free. If you want to make a contribution for the book to help us, you can do that too. But I don't want anybody that wants, would like to have a copy of this book, you can take it. Uh, but uh, 
with with my parents. Uh, well, we're, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, they 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 wanted us at church all the time. But there were some dynamics going on that I did not understand that I've been able to articulate and and the influence it had in my life that we'll be talking about here in just a minute. Uh, Parents should play the primary role in discipling their children. It's not an option. It's a duty. It's a command. Uh, Fathers, teach your children. Uh, Mothers, nurture your children. These are all in the Scripture. And it's it's very interesting that all the applications, and remember this, all the applications of Scripture go back to the home. Where do you learn patience? In a Sunday school class? No, you learn patience raising children. You don't learn patience in a Sunday school class. Where do you learn faithfulness? In a sermon? No, you learn it in a relationship between a husband and wife. That's where you learn faithfulness. All these, all these truths that were taught and given all the parameters of what it is and how to define it, you learn it in a family. That's what family was designed for, so you could take those things and begin to learn to live those things out. Uh, and then Paul wrote, and you'll see all the references are to family, even here Paul wrote to his children, those children in the faith, with whom I am again laboring until Christ is formed in you. Salvation, and I think this is later, but I want to bring it up now. Salvation is not found in a place you are going. Salvation is not about a place you are going. Salvation is about a person you're becoming. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's salvation. I said, no, that's a gift. That's a location. That's not salvation. We were created to be like God. Sin destroyed that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the likeness, the glory of God. So if that's what we lost, then what, what gets saved? What do you gain back? The likeness of God. Uh, this is one of my favorite things I teach about family right now. Um, Mary Lou and I have three children that bear our image. They, they've got our DNA. Uh, I used to, we had a friend, this is not true, but it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend, he said, you know, my, our children, they're smart like me, but they act like their mother. But we have to punish them for that. You know? <laughs> no, it's just the opposite. They're smart like her. They act like me. That's why we have to punish them. You know, but, um, but they're our children. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do this for three children, nobody else. Because they're ours. They, they have our DNA. They bear our image. They're, they're, they're us. When the two become one... What's the perfect picture of two people becoming one? A child. A child is two becoming one. And because they are, they are born of us and because they bear our image, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give them everything we own. They're heirs to everything we have. You know what that is? That's the gospel. God is going, he wants children that bear his image. That's why he created us in his likeness. But he gave us free will. But he wants us to bear his image. And for those who bear his image that are born of him, guess what he's going to do? Give them everything he owns. It's sort of simple. And remember the parallels we talked about of being born and all these. It's just a parallel. 
We learn that in this world because it's the dynamic of the kingdom of God. That's what the good news of the kingdom is all about. Is God wants children that are like him so he can give them everything he owns. And so, um, <clears throat> so we need to become like him. His, his goal for us is, is his likeness. So how do I disciple my children? Here's the thing. Discipleship is not a meeting with Emmanuel. How do I say, well, I got to read this book, read Benny's book. You can be discipled or I got a certificate. I have people say, I went to a discipleship class at church and I read the book and filled all the things and I've got a certificate. I've been discipled. Sorry. Discipleship is not about a meeting with a manual. You know, it's not a certificate on your wall. Discipleship is a journey with Jesus. How did, what, you know, not only did Jesus not ask his disciples to read a book and fill in the blanks, he never even wrote a book. Jesus never took the time to write a book. And I, I've always wondered about that. Well what, well, what would that book have been like? Maybe it wasn't that important. You know what he said? He said, follow me. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is following me. Discipleship is taking our children on our own personal journey of redemption and transformation toward Christ-likeness. It's not pushing them to a journey of transformation. It's saying, come with me on mine. It's the rope. Remember the rope. You lay a rope in the floor and you lay it in a straight line and try to push the rope across the floor. Can you push a rope? No. But you know what? If you take your end of the rope and pull it, you know what that rope will do? It'll stay in a straight line and go with you anywhere you go. See, we don't push our kids to Jesus. We pull them to Jesus. We take our kids on our journey. And the problem, parents will come to me and say, help me fix my child or help me do this or help me do that. I said, I can't fix your child. Maybe I can fix you. Because you're the problem and you're the solution. So how can we take kids on a journey of faith that we're not on? How can we call our kids to Christ likeness, the pursuit of Christ likeness, if that's not our journey? Jesus said, follow me. What did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Paul said, well, follow me while I'm following him. So the, th- the idea is, is that discipleship is not something we push our core kids toward discipleship is not something that we give them in a book discipleship is a journey through life together where they are on your journey of serving god they're on your journey of pursuing christ likeness and we'll talk about some of the ways that that what that looks like the product of parenting is children who possess the nature and character of god and children are a reflection of their parents So if you have the nature and character of God, the chances are that your children are going to develop the nature and character of God because you have it. Uh, I believe that in God's design for family, the children are supposed to be like their parents. That children are supposed to be like their father. Jesus was exactly like his father. He said, have you seen me? You've seen my father. Jim, you've been doing youth ministry. Some of us in here have been doing youth ministry. And I say that all the time. I have kids come to me and say, uh, I got a problem. It, and if you knew my father, you'd know my problem. I said, well, I know your pro- I know your father. I've never met him, but I know him already. You know, because uh, we, we become children are not the problem in a home. They're the product of a home. I'll go back to what Darren said. This is not an indictment on anybody because we've all failed on this journey. 
we all need encouragement and correction and, uh, you know, to, to stay on the journey because we can get off the journey. We can become self-absorbed and it's all about me real quick. Jim, it's what you talked about. You know, it's about my retirement plan and my this and my this and instead of it being for others. But <clears throat> so, again, no condemnation and no indictments here. Just revelation and hopefully conviction. Revelation and conviction. Uh, <clears throat> Spiritual truths, and I'll go through this real quick, but it always starts in a family. You know, the thing is, you want to teach your kids love, they need to see love between husband and wife. You don't have to say anything. They see love. They see faithfulness and love. And they, it's there, that, like I alluded to some of the kids at Brentwood Baptist, where uh, the college students, where Joey was saying, Dad, they're, the reason they're leaving the church, the reason they're giving up on it is because there was... T- it was two different worlds. There was a world at church that we all said the right things and dressed the right way and participated. And we got home as a different world. And the kids were saying, that's not real. It's a game. Uh, children should imitate uh, their parents. What does Ephesians, Ephesians 5.1 say? As children imitate their fathers, be imitators of God. And so these are all, uh, a father should teach his children. And I've told you earlier, I told some dads, if you aren't willing to teach your children, then don't have any. If, that, if you're saying, I can't do that, then you shouldn't have children. And, uh, well, I don't know how to teach. I says, you know, does your son know how to throw a ball? Well, yeah. How do he learn? Well, I got in the backyard and threw it with him. I said, sounds like you're a pretty good teacher to me. So it's this idea that we can't translate spiritual truth. I can teach my kid to fish or to kick a soccer ball, or I can teach my kids to do this kind of thing, but I can't teach them spiritual truth. That's a lie of the enemy. And you teach your kids to, to throw a baseball by what? Throwing a ball with them. You don't tell them about it. You, throw, you get out there and do it with them to kick a soccer ball, to go fishing or whatever else. So we've got to get that past the idea that it's a classroom. It's not a classroom. It's a, discipleship is a way we live. It's a life that we pass on, and it should be the life of Christ that we pass on. We treated you as fathers, treats his own children, encouraging you, comforting you, teaching you to live lives worthy of God who has saved you and will share with you his glory in his coming kingdom. So we treated you as fathers. I use that as the definition of a father because most guys say, well, my father, he's bad to the bone. You know, he, he drives this and he does this and he, had, you know, he can drink more than everybody. I'm going, that's the definition of a father. But that's what the world throws at young men. Here's what it really means to, man, to be a man. Well, right here's what it really means to be a man. To treat his children, encourage, you know, uh, encouraging you, comforting you, teaching you to live a life worthy of God. That's what a real man does. That's what a man is. But the world tells us something else. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children imitate their fathers. Father, stop making your children angry to bring them up in, uh, up in the training and respect of the Lord. It's all through Scripture. Here's one for the moms. Paul saying the same thing. He said, we treated you as fathers. We treated you as mothers. We were gentle among you just as a, mother nurse, uh, a nursing mother cherishes her own child, so affectionately longing for you. We were pleased uh, to impart not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, but our very own lives because we've, you're so dear to us. So it's not about information. It's giving your life. 
spiritual truth, how children learn. Uh, what, and you've all heard this, especially if you've been in education. Remember this. Uh, what you hear, you forget. Remember this. What you hear, forget. It's a little ironic. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Write this down. What you, <laughs> uh, basically, what you hear, you forget. You've, you've seen the same studies. Darren will work all week to prepare a sermon. He'll stand up and preach it for 45 minutes, do it twice, and within three hours, you'll remember uh, 5% of it, and within 24 hours, you won't remember any of it. Better write it down. Every time God spoke to somebody and he wanted it to be remembered, what did he tell them to do? If they hadn't written it down, we wouldn't have the Bible. It's exactly what he said. Write it down. What you see, you remember. So you can talk to your kids till you're blue in the face, but if they don't see you living it or doing it, it's in one ear and out the other. And you think they heard you, and they didn't. They're watching. And then what you do, you understand. Come with me. So the three teaching, messages are good, modeling's good, and mentoring's good. Those are three ways you teach, but you've got to have all three. Information is a powerful thing, but it's not the answer. Uh, you know who the guys in the Bible were, the, the guys who had all the right information? You know what we call them? Pharisees. They could answer any question. And Jesus said, you're vipers, you're snakes, and your heart is far from me. And if you understood what you were saying, if you truly understood what you were saying, you would know who I am. They didn't even understand what they were saying. Seven specific times to teach spiritual truth. This is not... Uh, the, old, the Old Testament and the New Testament are the same book. One fulfills the other. One sets the stage for the other. But it's one book. A lot of people treat them separately. Did you know that 95% of the things Jesus taught and quoted came out of the book of Deuteronomy? When Jesus taught the Scripture, He was not teaching the New Testament. He was teaching the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy is full of great wisdom and godly. Well, here's what, uh, So they're talking about our children. How do we pass our faith on to our children? And it says, uh, he said this, when you sit in your home, what do you do when you sit in your home? Watch TV, watch movies, kids in one room, somebody else in the other, everybody on their, you know, their, you know, what are you doing when you're sitting in your home? Are you talking about the things of God? What do you talk about? What about uh, uh, when you go places together? When you, it says when you, when you go along the way. Uh, my family, we, none of us had any singing lessons, but we all sang. We'd get in the car, and we didn't have a radio. This was a long time ago, but we did have the Baptist hymnal. <laughs> you know? And I remember going down the road, and my mom would have the Baptist hymnal, and we'd start singing. In fact, when the prophet family didn't show up for church, they, they canceled choir. Because <laughs> you know, a little small church... Well, the prophets are on vacation. There'll be no choir this Sunday morning. But, but, but the thing is, is we, we learned, we sang together. And uh, I always ask people, I said, uh, name your five favorite sermons that Darren has preached. I said, oh, well, let's sing our five favorite hymns. Just complete the sentence. Amazing grace. Isn't it amazing what we learn in songs? We can't remember a sermon, but we can sing songs all day long. We come into his presence with singing, the great, the great truth of what we learn about singing. So, you know, we, these were things that we did. We were always singing. I, now, I didn't, you know, I didn't know my parents were teaching me the word of God or instilling in me 
truths. We were just having fun singing. But I can, I can sing hundreds of those songs right now and full of the truth of God. When you go to bed at night. So what happens when you go to bed at night? That was one of my fun times, you know, when the kids were going to bed. And I'd always go in and pray with them and talk to them. And I might have even told you this story before. It's one of my, but uh, there were great times because I would always say, uh, you know, uh, we're, they would tell me what, what story they wanted to hear a Bible story. Or I'd try to figure out a new Bible story for them. Or we would just talk about stuff. And, and I said, now I'm, we'll, we'll tell a story. And if you have any questions, you know, we'll let you ask the questions. And, of course, our, our oldest son, um, we, I can't remember the story that night. But uh, my daughter, you know, she said, uh, now, Daddy, is it true that people that don't know Jesus go to hell? They've never asked Jesus into their heart. And I said, well, oh, she said, what's, she said, and she said, what's hell like? I said, well, let me, I can tell you what the Bible says. I don't know exactly what it's like, but the descriptions aren't very good. And then she said, and people that don't ask Jesus in their heart, they, they go to hell. Now she's nine and BJ, I think is six and Joey's like two. No telling what he's doing, but they'd all come sit on the bed and we'd just talk about Bible stories and ask questions and everything. And so Sean D got right through the toward the end of the conversation, she just got that look on her face and she looked over at BJ and she said, Daddy, BJ's going to hell. Because <laughs> he's never asked Jesus into his heart. <laughs> and BJ, he's, if he's quiet. He never says a word. We have to beg him to talk. He's a medical physicist at Vanderbilt Hospital. Uh, there's something going on up there, but he just never gets out here, you know. <laughs> So he's sitting there, and we're talking about hell. His eyes are as big as saucers. <laughs> and he just, and, and Mary Lou would really appreciate this because it's so hard to get him to talk. So unemotional. And he says, no, I'm not. <laughs> he says, I asked Jesus into my heart five minutes ago. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about hell. He's getting it right. Now, now, whether he did or not, wherever his understanding was at that time, what a great moment to have with your kids to talk about stuff. And so we had just, and so all the stories and all the things that they remember, and these weren't Sunday school lessons, and it sure wasn't a classroom setting. It was them climbing in bed, and we're telling the stories and having fun and praying together before they go to bed. And I wasn't there all the time. You know, that wasn't, a, uh, that wasn't something that was mandatory. It was something that was a part of our journey. And uh, now, Mary Lou and I have tried to do this. I I said, the Bible, for my parents, the Bible was not a lesson. We did not have Bible studies in my home growing up. Now, we had, I remember we had some family devotions from time to time. And like, let's all get together and do that. But I said, the Bible was not a book that was read in our home. The Bible was a language that was spoken in our home. There's the difference. What is the language of your home? When things happen, what comes out of us? When we speak, here's what the scripture says. When we speak, you know what we speak? The words of God. That's what we speak. It's hard to speak the words of God if you don't know what they are. So the thing is, we take kids on our journey. And I remember many times it says, when you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, I remember many times that we'd talk about something, the kids would have a question or what. And I said, I don't know, but, but tomorrow morning they would brush their teeth and I'd have a little post-it notes that after we talked, I went out and found the answer. Uh, I said, well, in, 
in Psalms, it says this. We were talking about this last night. So I said, so the next day they're brushing their teeth. They found a message on their mirror. Told them a couple of things. That there was an answer, a good answer. What else did it tell them? That I spent time in the Word of God that night. Seeking Him while they were asleep. And so did, I, did we do that every night? No. Did we pray with them every morning? No. But we did every morning we could. Because life's busy and, and boy, when, when you get to that 6 to 12, that's good. But 13 to 18, things change. So when you go, uh, when you go uh, what you choose to wear says, what's, what's on, what do you adorn yourself with? I had this girl that came into my youth group. Uh, she was, uh, the Lord just saved her. I mean, just changed her heart. So she comes into youth group on Wednesday night, and she has a little skimpy top on and short shorts up to here. And, uh, you know, she's about 17 years old. And so I, after we had youth group, I said, come in here just a minute. So I came into my office, and we had some others in there. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, now this, I'm, I'm not being condemning or anything, but, you know, there, let me tell you what the way you dress does to young boys and to men. And you know what? She, after we got through, two things could have happened that night. She could have stormed out of that room and said, I don't ever want to come back here. Or she could have said, thank you, I didn't know. And that's what she said. She said, thank you. She said, the world I grew up in, this is the way we dress. This is what we wear. What, what does what we wear tell our children? What does it tell them that's important? Absolutely. They're watching. They see everything. And they're judging everything. They're trying to figure it out. And you say one thing, but we live another. And so, you know, uh, it says what, what's on our forehead and what's on our wrist, but what's on our body? How we dress tells our children things. What's important? <clears throat> uh, how you decorate your home on the doorpost of your home. When, you're, when your kids come in and see, you know, um, I've been in some homes where their home is an art gallery. And, I've, I mean, I've literally been in homes where I don't, I've never seen a picture of children. I just see these valuable pieces of art. They're beautiful. We can't afford stuff like that. You come to my house, you see pictures of kids everywhere. Our kids know what's important to us. You know, that we've, we have the history. You've been to my house. We have the history of our children's lives on our walls. And done tastefully. That can get, that can get pretty gaudy sometimes. <laughs> we try to do it a little bit tastefully. But we want our, our, even what's on our walls tells our children what's important to us. And scripture verses. And and, and images and everything else. We want our children to know that our life is centered in Christ and our home is centered in Christ. And um, uh, when you share a meal, these are all right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 9. Uh, the, he, he said, when, how do you disciple your children? You disciple your children when you sit in your home, when you go places, when you go to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, when, by what you wear, the way you decorate your home, and what you do when you share a meal. In fact, uh, you know, once they get to be 13 or 14, we used to try to pray before every meal. Where, where were we one night? And Shondi, real little, you know, we're having a meal somewhere. And I said, uh, let's say the blessing. And Shondi said, well, we never pray at our house. You know, I'm supposed to be the youth pastor at the church. And my 13, my 11-year-old daughter says, we never say the blessing at our house. I was going, shut up. <laughs> 
That wasn't true anyway. Yeah, she, yeah, she did say that. Oh, yeah. oh, I, I, oh never mind. We were not even talking about it. But, uh, but discipleship is a way we live. It's a way of life. Jesus said, come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. Just follow me. Do, do what I do and say what I say. That's the way you disciple your children. It's not a classroom. It's not a meeting. It's not a book you read. It's a way you live. And do we need the classrooms? Yeah, because they teach us the way to live. And do we need to read the books? Absolutely, because it gives us information. But if we leave it in a classroom with a book we read, we've missed the whole point. Jesus came to give us life, the life of God that we had missed because we were blinded by sin. And we need to live that life out in front of our children. And the things that we value are the things that they will value. And the things that we uh, portray are the things they're going to. Now, that is there, thank goodness there's divine intervention and there's grace. And that God is, God is seeking people who aren't even seeking for him. And boy, aren't we glad. You know, I'm glad that I was trying to teach my children these things, but I'm glad there was a God that was pursuing them as well, with or without me. Because he's not waiting on me. But I just know the influence it has in the life of a child, not only to see them come to Christ and begin to live like him, but to see it in parents. And when do you start that? You start it today. That's something you start today, whether you're, whether you're uh, 22 or 23 and you've got your first little baby, or whether you're 75 or 76 and you've got eight grandchildren. You're, the people around you need to see you passionately pursue Christ himself. That he is the, he's not the, the, he's not the number one thing on your list. Jesus is not the number one thing on your list. He is the center of your everything on your list. We don't alienate. Well, Jesus is here, and this is here, and this is here. He's not over here isolated at the top of your list. He's the center of everything on your list. That's where he belongs. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna okay. I'm gonna. You're gonna get this this PowerPoint. There are ten. Uh, the passionately pursuing the nature and character of God. Worship. What is worship? People say, "Well, worship. That's something we do at church." No, we we don't understand. Uh, we we combine praise and worship together. We say one thing: praise and worship. Like they're the same thing. They're two different things. Praise is an outward expression. Worship is an inward pursuit. They're two different things. Praise is an outward, it's an expression. Worship is inward. It's the longing of your heart. It's what you desire. When, and when you drive by the big house on the hill and you go, I want that. I want to live in that house and whatever it takes for me to have a house like that, I'm going to have it. You know what that's called? It's called worship. It's an inward, passionate pursuit. There's only one thing we're to worship, and that's God. And he tells us how to worship him. He said, he says, worship me by worshiping my son, by passionately pursuing my son. Hebrews chapter 1. And he, God says, you can't worship angels, you can't worship this, but worship my son. Pursue him passionately. Become like him. Because when you become like him, you become like me. And when you become like me, you belong in my family. And when you belong in my family, I'm going to give you everything I own. So it's all about children and family. I, I put together areas of your life that need to be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. So 
We need to have the same life Jesus had, so we need to be born of the same spirit Jesus was born of. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, she conceived. He was born of the Spirit. We need to be born of the Spirit. We need to have the same heart, the same mind, the same answers, the same connection to God, to do the same actions, the same disobedience, the same message, the same motives, the same ministry. We need to be people that are like Jesus. Now, we're not going to go through all those. I wish we had time to. That would be a whole other hour. But not only... God gives us tools to transform us. Those are the areas of transformation. These are the tools of transformation. He gives us His Holy Spirit, the power of God living in us to change. He gives us a written record of Him and His purposes. He gives us a visible revelation, the incarnate Christ. He gives us His presence in worship. He gives us unconditional love that demonstrates our value. Uh, he, He gives us unlimited grace that says when we fail, He sustains us. He gives us other people, redeemed people that join us on the journey. He gives us faith so we can trust Him on the journey. He says, He gives us prayer. He said, you can talk to me anytime you want to on the journey. Just call on my name. And He says, then the one I hate, I love the first nine, the last one I hate. Then He gives us suffering. Why did we put that one on the list? But think of all the things we learn through suffering. Every great ministry I've ever been a part of came out of suffering. Where somebody was suffering... And they went out to help people that were suffering. And so and we're, we're tra- that's, that's, that's the most powerful tool in the hand of God is our struggles and our suffering. And he carves away those things in us that aren't like him. So King David, most kings, when they went into battle, they ran for the mountains. You know where King David ran? Into the battle. As a, they couldn't understand it because he was the king. He was the first one in the battle because guess what? He knew where God was. He knew God was in the battle. Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego jump into the fire? Because they knew that's where God was. They didn't run away from it. They went into it. We, we need to embrace the struggles of life on this pursuit of Christ-likeness because in our suffering, we will be perfected. <coughs> what does the Scripture say? Christ was made perfect through His suffering. It's a part of the journey. And then worship this passionate pursuit of possessing the nature and character of God. You can have this PowerPoint. I think you can put it and people can download it and just take it home and read through the scripture in it. Uh, I called, I, this is in Deuteronomy again. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now choose life that you and your children may live. That you may know the love of the Lord your God. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life. If we cannot expect the Lord to be the life of our children. If He's not ours. If if our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. If our pursuits aren't passionately becoming like Him then how can we expect our children to be that? Thank goodness that there are others, you know, thank goodness we have a family, church family, and and others who are after our children that are in the faith. But the sad part is there's a thousand others out there that are voices coming after our children that are not for their good. So we need to be, we need to be the person we want our children to become. We need to passionately pursue and become the person that we want our children to be so that 
if they are like us, then they will be like him. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we have, uh, we've got a few minutes to talk. Any, any um, questions or comments? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, they are living that out. His parents did live that out. Mm-hmm. And yet he still had all of his issues. So there still is those where you think, okay, we've got to check, check, check. And then mm-hmm. they still do. Ask Franklin Graham. Exactly. Very good. Mm-hmm. But then the ministries that are born from that. So it's like, right? Billy Graham had two daughters that divorced and a son that was a rebel. And if you say anybody that ought to get it right, it should have been Billy Graham. Families are under attack. Uh, you know, the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. I guarantee you the devil's not. He'll come out. God will redeem you the last day of your life, and Satan will destroy you the last day of your life if he can get to you. He doesn't give up. And so, yeah, it is. Uh, there, the, uh, the, gar- the guarantee here is the Scripture says, you know, that if, when we raise our children, they'll return. Um, we, we were talking about struggles, you know, how our children struggle. And so uh, I'll close with this one because this is something every parent needs to hear. Uh, <clears throat> and it's about the little boy who was standing uh, by the window and he's looking out and his dad comes over and says, what are you looking at? And he said, well, here's a caterpillar. Oh, what is this, dad? What is that? And he said, well, that's a caterpillar. And he's wrapping himself in a cocoon and he's going to... Uh, inside that cocoon, he's going to turn into a butterfly, and then someday he'll come out and he'll be a butterfly. So the little boy every day would go and look in the window. And so the the, uh, finally the father comes in, the little boy's standing there, and he's crying. And he said, what's wrong, son? He said, the the butterfly's dead. It died. And he said, what happened? He said, well, Dad, he was trying to get out of the cocoon. And he was really struggling, so I took a razor blade and I cut the cocoon open to make it easy for him. And he said, I didn't touch the butterfly, but it just fell on the ground and flopped around and died. And what did the dad say? He said, son, what you didn't know was it was the struggle of getting out of the cocoon that makes the butterfly strong enough to fly. And you know what we do as parents? We want to make it easy. I want it to be easy on my kids. And the truth is, it's the struggle that will make them strong. So we don't, Jesus, uh, you know, the, the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So our job for our children is to do what? To be with them, even in the valley of the shadow of death that we're always there, that we're with them on that journey. And we can't eliminate the struggle. In fact, I don't think we should. Boy, that some of the toughest situations I've ever been was a parent comes to me and says, my child's done this, and how can I get him out of it? And I said, let him stay in it. I want my kid out of jail. He got put in jail before doing this. How can I get, will you help me get him out? And I said, no, he needs to stay in jail. There's a lesson to be learned there. You just bail him out every time he does something wrong. Uh, one of the things we were talking about is, and 
I'd have to go back, but you know the the uh, the letting go process, the curve of letting go. What our goal was is we wanted our children to be totally responsible for their life at age fifteen, not eighteen. We wanted them to be responsible at fifteen, and so they could live with us for three years while they were being responsible. Because when they messed up, which they did, and we all will, they had a place to come home to and talk about it. See, we, instead of saying, that we're going to control our kid's life and they're never going to mess up. I said, we want to give you your life and we want to help you make decisions. We want to expose you to the right people and, and, and the right information and be there with you. But we want you to be, be ready to go long before you leave. Because you step, sometimes you step out in the wrong direction, you get your toe mashed or you get your nose punched or, you, you know, you, you make a mistake. And I wanted them to be able to come home to us when that happened and, and not somebody else because when the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the edge. So I think there is that sense of, is this easy? There's nothing easy about parenting. And this information is not going to make it easier. Hopefully it's helpful. But to say now it'll be it's not be easy. We have an enemy who's out there, and our kids need to know about the enemy. I've got a whole another lesson on here on spiritual warfare for parents at another session sometime. But you know, how do we deal with spiritual warfare? How do we teach our children to see right and wrong and evil and good? Because if we if they don't see it, then they can be caught up in something. So they need to be able to hear the voice of God and discern evil and good, and know that there's an enemy who schemes against them. And once they begin to learn those things, then it's, it's great when your children call you. We've had that happen, and it's where our children were in a situation, and they called and they said, Dad, come get me, because this is where I'm at right now is not good. And we told our kids, we'll be your out. Anytime you want us to be, you turn to your friends and say, My sorry, Dad's coming to get me. He told me I had to come home. I said, I don't care. I'll be your bad guy anytime you want me to be, but I want you to have the discernment in you to know where you're supposed to be and when to walk away. And so we wanted them to have those experiences while they were under our roof instead of when they got out there and the only place they had to go, we don't know where they were going to get their advice. So is it easy? No. Is it right? Yes. We don't do the easy way. We just try to do it the right way. Okay. Thank you all so much for uh, hanging in here with us. <clears throat> Be sure and get a book. And well, how can we get a book? Just go back down. Pick well, them up. well, and here's the thing. Strongly suggested, uh, I'm going to say strongly suggested $10 donation. Uh, that's only a couple of Starbucks trips this week. So... Um, it would be awesome to take it with you. And I think we need to get Benny back to do a couple more Sundays. Um, because, and I would say, first of all, thank you all that are here because it speaks volumes. I was actually, uh, I'm going to cut this out of the recording, stunned at the amount of people that I was communicated. Um, ah, I've already done the parenting thing. I'm going to take the day off. Uh, so next time we're not going to actually say it was a parenting thing. We're just going to have them come do Sunday morning because I think a lot of us will sometimes discount. Oh, I don't need that. I've already figured it out. Or in some, in some of us, there's the, man, I really didn't do such a good job of being a parent. So I don't want to be there because I'll feel shamed by it. Um, and that's just the enemy. It's a lie of the enemy. And I want to congratulate you guys for overcoming that today and being here anyway, giving up a day of your life to invest in yourselves 
towards your children. Like, I don't want to be hyperbolic or overdramatic, but I would say this would maybe be one of the most important days in the history of our church. Um, that what we're doing here is saying there's an enemy that wants to steal our children, but not on my watch, not on your watch. And not without a fight. We're not going down without a fight. And so I just, I look around and I'm just so proud of every one of you for being here. Cause you basically, you, when you, by what you hang on your wall, you're saying what's important. The way that you've invested your time is important. So I'm, gosh, I'm grateful. Um, as a father, uh, as a fellow parent and as a pastor, I'm just really super proud of all of you guys. So, uh, so yeah, we'll do it again. I mean, Benny, uh, if, if we can catch him in between Indonesia and India and he didn't get to talk about it, but he's been granted the rights to the movie of, um, for the story of Rachel Scott. And if you remember Rachel, but she died in Littleton, Littleton, so Columbine High School. Uh, Benny has been in the process of raising over a million dollars. They're going to create and release a movie in the next year. And it's funny because at a time when he could be uh, skating towards retirement, he's launching probably the biggest initiative in the history of his ministry right now. Uh, retirement is a, uh, is a world idea. It's not a God idea. Uh, Benny actually told me this. You know, the, uh, you, know you notice how Benny will talk in questions and then answer them for you? One of his questions was... <laughs> You know what an elder is? The original word for elder in the Bible, you know what that means? It's just old person. That's what that means. So I'm grateful because uh, I don't think of Benny as old at all. But as an elder in our lives, my life, and in your life, he's definitely brought that wisdom today. And, uh, and man, anytime the Lord puts a word on your heart, that pulpit is open to you uh, on any Sunday. So thanks for your time. Where will the buckets be, Mo, if somebody wants to donate today towards him? Where will they be? Okay, so by the books... Um, so, but make that check out to Conduit Church, and then we're going to, uh, we'll combine whatever you guys have given today, and as a church, we will give a way above and beyond that to bless Benny and Mary Lou for what they've done. Christy, go to conduitchurch.com. You can give online. Market Benny. If you guys want to, pray about it. How could, They could go to First Priority and become a monthly partner with you. So, First, first Priority Global. Org. Org. Dot com dot org. First Priority Global. He's never been there. <laughs> it's dot com. Okay. Uh, and maybe, you know, you become a partner with what he's doing globally. As a church, we've had the privilege of sending him to paying for his plane tickets to go to different countries and investing in his ministry that way. But maybe the Lord will call you to be a partner to take this message around the world. So I'm sure your kids are ready to go. I know your teachers are ready for them to go. So before you do anything else, definitely go get your kids out and, uh, and hang out as long as you want to.